Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. verses 1 to 18. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor but don't let Boaz see you until he is finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognise each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was lying here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Naomi told, Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Hi everyone, good morning, I am Mike. Um, We're in the story of Ruth. And Ruth's story is an ancient story of hope. It's a true story. It happened just over 3,000 years ago, during the time of the judges, we're told. Now you can read about the time of the judges in the Bible, in the book of the judges. Um, It was a time of social, political, and spiritual unrest. There was constant turnover of political leaders, some good, some bad. 
There was conflict escalating between the nations. And for Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, it was a time of economic threat and social isolation. So political unrest, threat of war, economic turmoil, social isolation. Sound familiar? Um, I don't know about you, but I have found this week a little bit of a difficult week as I've looked at the news. I found myself at times wondering, will I be able to afford my mortgage in the future? Will public services survive more cuts? Will Putin's aggression escalate even further? Will asylum seekers on our shores continue to be mistreated? Can we trust anything a leader says? Why so many tragedies in the world? Or closer to home, why are so many of my friends suffering so much? I feel the need for hope. Maybe you do too. And Ruth's story is a story of hope. And in this chapter, we see that hope for Ruth and Naomi gets focused and located on a particular person, Boaz. And for the Christian, hope also is focused and located on a particular person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that all of Scripture is actually about Jesus. All of it is pointing to him from first to last. So the book of Ruth is actually pointing us to Jesus. So what I want us to ask this morning is, what does it look like to walk in hope through troubled times as a Christian? And I pray that through this story, God will strengthen your hope in mine as we look at Jesus through the story of Ruth. And maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. What I pray is you hear about what Christian hope looks like, that the Holy Spirit might open your eyes to see Jesus and maybe even want him because he is given. He's given to you. So what does it look like to walk in hope as a Christian? I want to draw out three things from the story. Christian hope looks like taking action. It looks like knowing your identity. And it looks like holding on to promise. Okay, action, identity, promise. First of all, taking action. So we rejoin the story with Ruth at home with Naomi, and Naomi has a plan. Okay? She wants to secure a future for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now, in that time, society was structured in such a way that the security of a woman largely depended upon her position within a household, having a husband or a father or a brother who would take care of her. That's the way things were ordered. But Ruth and Naomi have no such security because both of them have been widowed and they're alone. And Naomi has picked up that she and that Ruth and Boaz seem to be getting on quite well. And there's a bit of a spark there. And that's good news because Boaz was a distant relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. Now the Jewish law was concerned with protecting the welfare of bereaved families. And part of that was expressed in Deuteronomy chapter 25. A relative of a fellow Israelite who had died without having children could marry the surviving widow so that that family name would be preserved and the land belonging to that household would stay in the family and that the woman would be taken care of. It was a law of grace, actually both to the living and to the dead, preserving that family. Boaz could be good news for Naomi and for her daughter-in-law Ruth and even for the husbands who were no longer alive. So Naomi Naomi tells Ruth, tonight's the night. 
Yeah, Boaz is sorting out all his grain. He's going to be on the threshing floor. It's been a bumper crop. He's a rich guy. There'll be food. There'll be wine. It'll be perfect. It's date time. Yeah. So Naomi tells Ruth, take a wash. Put on something nice. Smell nice. Now, as an aside, that's good advice for anyone with romantic aspirations. <laughs> Men and women, boys and girls, make an effort. Yeah? Wash. Put on some perfume. Give someone an opportunity to notice you as you really are. You know, a, a real hottie, you know? I've, I've seen you out there. Naomi tells Ruth, Naomi tells Ruth, go to Boaz and go to him when no one can see. And then she says, uncover his feet. He'll tell you what to do. More on that later. But Naomi perceives hope in the midst of their difficult situation. Hope in Boaz. So she and Ruth determined to put hope into action. But now this was a risky plan. Okay, it was a risky plan. The time of the judges was not a very safe time. Now going out at night, particularly for a woman, that's a risky business. And also, Ruth's reputation was at risk here. What we, what we know about the threshing floor was that it was a man's place and that actually there's evidence that if women were found on the threshing floor, it's normally because they were sex workers. So her safety is at risk and her reputation is at risk, but also there's a risk because how will Boaz respond to her? Will he be offended? Would he reject her? Would he take advantage of her? He has a risky business. But Naomi and, and Ruth had reason to hope, reason for this action. Because Boaz had already shown Ruth so much kindness. Now Adrian pointed that out to us last week, the hesed that had been shown, this faithful loving kindness. Boaz had given her grain, had shared his lunch with her, had ensured she was protected. In fact, the kindness of Boaz in chapter 2 preceded the hope-filled actions of Ruth in chapter 3. You could say that Boaz produced and propelled the action of Ruth by his prior loving kindness. In, th in theology, this is called prevenient grace. Yeah? God's kindness always comes first. And our responses, big or small, are propelled and empowered First of all, by his movement of grace. Let me try and give you an analogy. I have here in my hand a crisp 10-pound note. Yeah, very, very fresh. And I'm pretty determined to give this 10-pound note to anyone of the age of 18 or below who will come up and just take it. So what I want to know is, does anybody want it? Do you, do you want this 10-pound note? All you have to do is come up here and take the 10-pound note, and it's, it's yours, Emily. It's just yours. Oh! I tell you what, I've got something for you too. You can have a, a box of chocolates. How's that? Fantastic. Round of applause. Wow. Grace does things. It draws action. Um, maybe it would have seemed a bit of a risky thing for Emily to come up here in front of anyone and just claim a note. And surely, Emily, I'm sure you wouldn't have just done that off the cuff, you know, unless I had given you a reason to come up, a reason to hope. The movement of Emily and of my little friend here was propelled 
and empowered by the promise that I wanted to do something good for you. Our reason for active hope as Christians is because of who God is and of what he has done. Who he is has been fully revealed in his son, Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, is full of grace and truth. And he has been given to us in all of his fullness. And it says in Romans 8.32, since God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? He keeps his promises. I want you to know this morning, God is predisposed to be generous to you. He's proven that in giving you his very best, in giving you Jesus. This is prevenient grace. Our actions do not earn something from him. Rather, the prior kindness of God drives us into hope-filled action. Now for us, that probably doesn't look like taking a bath and sticking on perfume and going on a nighttime mission. So what does hope-filled action look like for us in these troubled times? Two quick things. I think hope-filled action looks like prayer. It looks like coming to God and bringing to him our needs and asking for him to move in our world. Sometimes prayer feels like a risk. Naturally, I tend to look to my own resources before I look to God, naturally. So if money's tight, I think, how can I get some more? Or if there's a challenging situation, how can I fix this? If there's a difficult relationship, what do I need to do now? And of course, there may be action for me to take in all of that, but before all of that, I need to come before God, who is predisposed to be generous to me, and pray. Because he is rich where I'm poor. It looks like prayer, and I think also, it looks like generosity. It's more tempting than ever to justify keeping my things to myself at times of scarcity and ignoring the needs of others. And I just wonder whether Christian hope in action right now will look like conspicuous generosity, prayer and generosity. Hope located in Jesus takes action, yeah? But that action is propelled by his prior kindness. That's point one. Number two, Christian hope also looks like knowing your identity, Back to the story, Ruth follows Naomi's plan at great risk to herself. She hides, party finishes, Boaz lies down, she approaches Boaz kind of stealthily, and she uncovers his feet, and she lies down at his feet. Now this scene is full of sexual tension. Okay? There is some debate about how best to understand the Hebrew description of Ruth uncovering Boaz's feet. It, it may simply be that she literally exposes him from you know, toe to ankle. It may be that it's much higher than that. Some commentators think that a better reading is that Ruth exposes herself at his feet. There's some lack of clarity about it. What is clear is that the atmosphere is sexually charged. Ruth is an attractive woman. It's also clear that Ruth hasn't done anything wrong. There's no suggestion that they actually have sex. Yeah? There's, there's, there's no immorality here. And that's important. Why? We see Ruth was a Moabite. In fact, almost every time up to this point in the story, whenever someone asks Ruth, who who is she? The answer comes, she's a Moabite. She's left Moab to be with Naomi, but the Moabite label sticks to her. And the Bible is clear that Moabites are kind of associated with sexually explicit behaviors in the Bible. 
Yeah, so in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, the men of Israel, they chase after casual sexual experiences with Moabite women, and that ends up with them worshipping other gods. And, and even, in fact, Ruth's earliest ancestor, Moab, was born as a result of incest. It's a bit of a sordid affair. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 19. You know, a, a drunk father named Lot sleeps with his daughters, and then the result is the birth of Moab and the people of the Moabites. So when the book of Ruth was read out to the original listeners, they were primed to wonder whether at the threshing floor of Boaz, Ruth would go the way of the Moabite. Yeah, it's in her blood. And maybe, maybe even it was implicit in Naomi's plan. But that's not the way that things played out. What happened? Well, Boaz awakes at midnight, maybe a cold breeze somewhere down, down below, and, and he wakes up and shock, there's a woman at his feet. And the question is asked, who are you? And Ruth comes back and she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Ruth goes off script. Boaz asks her who she is, and she answers primarily by telling him who he is. I am Ruth and you are our family redeemer. It is who you are who determines who I am. And that phrase, spread your cloak over your servant, echoes a phrase found in Ezekiel chapter 16 in the Bible. It's a marriage vow. To spread your cloak over someone is to pledge, I will take you to myself. All that I am, I will give to you. All that I have, I will share with you. Still today, in some cultures, that's how marriage proposals happen. A man spreads his cloak over a woman. Now, if I knew that was an option when I was proposing to Becca, I might not have spent so much at the jewelry quarter. <laughs> Just cloak. <laughs> Wish I'd known about the cloak thing. <laughs> Ruth is asking Boaz for marriage. She's appealing to the gracious provisions of the Jewish law that we spoke of earlier on. Boaz to take her to himself, to look after her, and Naomi too, and to preserve the family name of Elimelech. The nations to be included in the promises of God, a Moabite taken in. She is leaning on the grace of God for herself and for her household because the blessings belong to the household. Because she has seen, with Naomi's help, that her identity now is fixed to the gracious promises of God found in Boaz. The threshing floor is not seduction, it is hope in the grace of God. Her identity will be determined by who Boaz is. Where is your identity anchored this morning? In the midst of the chaos and the uncertainty of life, how do you understand yourself? Is your identity fixed first to your job? Or to your bank account? Or to your family history? Or to your health? Or maybe your cultural background? Or maybe what people say about you? Or your behavior? 
the good news this morning is that whoever you are, wherever you're from, however much or little you have, and whatever you've done, and whatever people say, you have a redeemer. One has been provided for you. And wherever you are poor, he is rich. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord. And he is the one in whom you may anchor your identity. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaim to you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. In Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are located and given to you. He is your redeemer. Jesus spreads his cloak over all that will come to him. As Christians, our identity is determined primarily by our relationship to him. In him, God promises us life. For he is the resurrection and the life. So even in the face of death, we may know life. In him, God promises us provision. He knows what we need and he will provide for us just as he provides for the birds of the air. So even in scarcity, fear not. In him, God promises us forgiveness, not just seven times in a day, but 70 times seven. There's no end to his forgiveness, which is just as well, because if you're anything like me, there seems to be no end for your need of it. In him, God promises to stay with us whatever we are facing, because he is Emmanuel, God with us. All God's promises are located in him. Walking in hope as a Christian means claiming your identity in Christ, even if others are putting other identities on you. Just as Ruth knew herself included in the promises of God, you are included. And Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's so good to worship earlier. We're going to worship again in a minute. Worship is an action of hope because in worship, we celebrate the Lord and we forget not all his benefits. We remember our identity is fixed to him now and Christ has every resource, more than Boaz. And he is faithful to fulfill every promise, even more than Boaz. And in him, you have a glorious identity, an identity even greater than the identity Boaz could give Ruth because all who are joined to Jesus are children of God and God takes good care of his children. Whatever you're facing, hope in the one who has even conquered the grave for you. As the story continues on, Boaz tells Ruth there's stuff that needs sorting out. Now he responds to her request for marriage and he essentially says, yes, my cloak is over you. But, but there's stuff that needs sorting out. And she doesn't need to understand all of the details of it, just needs to know he'll do it. And oftentimes God does not give us all the details of how he's going to care for us, of what every day is going to look like. And sometimes it looks very different to what we thought or hoped. He just says that he'll be all that we need. He'll do it. And that leads us to the final aspect of walking in hope, which I want to close with. 
Christian hope is taking action, it's knowing your identity, and it's holding on to promise. Ruth returns to Naomi after her night at the threshing floor, and Naomi wants to know everything that's happened. And Ruth tells her everything that happens, and she emphasizes to Naomi her inclusion in Boaz's plans because the promises of God come to whole households. And she shows Naomi the token of the promise, a whole sack full of grain. And then Naomi encourages Ruth and says, just wait, be patient. He's going to do all that he said he was going to do. But there would be a period of time between the promise being received and its reality being experienced. And walking in Christian hope often involves waiting. Sometimes it feels like for a painfully long time. Waiting while holding on to the promises of the Lord. And just as Ruth comforted Naomi with words that she's included, and just as Naomi comforted Ruth with words that Boaz will do it, so we just need to mutually encourage one another and comfort one another to strengthen our hope in the one in whom all of our hope is invested, Jesus. In, in, in our waiting, we need to hear from one another encouragement about who he is and, and that we're included. For some of us, life is mostly happy optimism right now, and that's great. But I, I know some of the stories represented in this room and online. I know that for some of us, life is mostly painful. Painful bodies, painful minds, painful relationships, painful marriages. Wrestling at times painfully with questions about gender and sexuality. Struggling to make ends meet, fearful of loneliness, struggling with bereavement, struggling with destructive behaviors and habits. But hope has not abandoned you because Christ has not abandoned you. He promises in Hebrews 13, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He promises in Matthew 28, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says in John 14, I have gone to prepare a place for you and I will come for you. There may be a distance between promise received and present experience, but he is faithful to do what he has said he will do. The resurrection guarantees it. Christian hope may mean holding on to him together, and it certainly means holding together, although in actual fact, he is holding on to us. He is one greater than Boaz who will do all that he has said. And even now, he gives us a deposit guaranteeing his promise even greater than a sackload of grain. He gives us his pledge in the bread and the juice of communion so that we can touch and taste and swallow down the promises of God. That's why we do that so frequently here. He gives us his pledge in the waters of baptism as you're signed and sealed with the triune name of God. And so every time you take a bath or a shower, you can remember your baptism, the fact of it, even if your memory is very hazy, even if it happened when you were very little. 
He seals you. He's placed his name on you. And he gives us his pledge in the ongoing witness of the Holy Spirit given to us. I wonder if the band could come up, please. Do you know, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And I just wonder whether some of you just need to know a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit this morning. Maybe for some of us, we just feel like hope is, um, is just threadbare right now. Maybe you're needing to know the energy of the Holy Spirit in order to take hopeful action. Maybe you need assurance again of your identity in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to bring that assurance. Maybe you just need the Spirit's help to keep hoping with others. I wonder if we can stand. We're going to sing a song which will be action of hope. And that song will be just a song of devotion to our kinsman redeemer, our family redeemer, Jesus. But even as we sing, I'm just going to pray the Holy Spirit will come and minister to different ones of us hope, a seal of his promise, like that sack full of grain that Boaz gave to Ruth to show he was going to do all he said. The Spirit comes now to deposit to each of us hope. And it may be that different ones of us need to come up and, and be prayed for. And some of us will be here to do that. Just pray even as Dave starts playing. Heavenly Father, thank you. You have given us everything in giving us Jesus. Thank you. This is prevenient grace. We didn't first repent. You first showed us grace. And your kindness leads us to repentance. Always your action comes first and propels ours. And thank you, God, that even in the midst of such painful experiences that many of us are having, thank you, there is hope because you, Jesus, have risen from the dead and are faithful to every one of your promises. And you will do what you've promised. You will come for us. You will make all things new. So Holy Spirit, would you galvanize our hope again? that we might be people of hope, a generous people, a praying people, a people whose identity is fixed in Christ. Come, Lord, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, you are a living God. May we know your living presence now. Amen.